This is Moss Whelan and Story in Mind. So, I've, I've stumbled on the perfect antidote for the podcast, for topics, and I'm just going to talk about literary devices until the, the cows come home, which they invariably do. Alright, so, the one that struck my fancy, I looked at a list, and it was Deus Ex Machina, and the thought immediately uh, after this choice was agency, and a character's agency. And one of the critiques that I got or I heard in creative writing classes and that I've read elsewhere is that there has to be, the main character has got to be active and sort of, yes, you can have them starting off where they're kind of hobbled or that they're not, um, they're not capable of, for some reason or another, they're they're not capable of making um, making choices or taking action you know that they are their ordinary world is kind of there's a kind of repression going on but that ultimately it's it's good to have the character become more and more active struggling and confronting having agency because it echoes our own um, desire for freedom. I was just seeing a video the other day about self-actualization. I I I might have the name wrong, but this is from... Is it from Maslow? And I think it's positive psychology. was just describing... There's this pyramid and of of layers and you've got to take care of basic needs at the bottom of the pyramid and then you go up this graph and then you go up and then at the very top um, there's this drive to become self-actualized and I think such in the, such is the case in the story where we're you know, we're starting off, we're taking care of basic needs, but ultimately we want to you know, achieve, you know, whether it's you know, a dream or a goal that the main character is striving towards this. And I, I got to, I went to this video because my screenplay writing book uh, that I keep coming back to, which is a good sign. And that's, uh, it's called My Story Can Beat Up Your Story. It's, I think, I think it's Jeffrey Sketcher. And he, he mentions a number of times, Sketcher mentions self-actualized or self-actualization or something along those lines. 
you know, that we're going for some kind of transformation at the end of the story. <clears throat> the Deus Ex Machina, it, it comes from, so this is a literary device, it comes from ancient Greece. It would be at the end of a play, a Greek play, and I read one description that there is a there's actually machinery that and it, it could be just like, like you know like a simple kind of fulcrum some kind of crane or something that lowers down a, a Greek deity who saves the day and this <laughs> this device literally and figuratively it's called uh, deus ex machina the machina is machine and the deus is god so it's god in the machine and i'm just stubble, stumbling over the x in Deus Ex Machina, because I remember seeing these uh, stickers that you can put in in your book that said Ex Libris. So I was like, does it mean in? So that's I'll probably head back to pack back to the books to look up. Does X mean in? Okay, so, it's daylight, uh, we still have snow, it's chilly, I'm just noticing it's chilly. I think my phone will be fine, but I'm just going to put on the gloves. Deus Ex Machina. The effect of the Deus Ex Machina is that so you've been building up to this um, final battle, right? A battle between good and evil, you know, or is it a gray character and gray character? morally ambiguous characters who are driven by their own egos. But we, we get to this climax and what happens? You know, the, the deity sort of, you know, is lowered down onto the stage and declares that, uh, you know, everything is fixed, right? It's all repaired up. And so, thinking about it and going, well, why would they do that? And one of my thoughts is that in, in taking away this agency, you know, the climax where the, the hero 
rises above. There's a kind of revolutionary part of the equation there. That the... Yeah, so that the main character is... It's subverted. You know, this this drive to succeed. It, it's almost like saying, don't even try, right? Because, you know, because you don't have the power. The power is sort of, you know, behind the scenes. You know, this agency ultimately is coming from a divine sort of source... So there's a there's a religious aspect to this, but there's also um, and and then too uh, psychological, like say a sort of defeatist kind of attitude. Uh, but then there's also the political side of things. You know, don't don't try to rise above your status because you know ultimately you're not the person in charge or calling the shots. I'm reminded of the the fates or the Norns or the weird sisters that you know who are who are sitting there weaving or um, concocting around the the cauldron. I was just I was just thinking too. The cauldron is very uh, uh, the the Welsh. Because uh, there's this uh, this Gaelic tradition, Celtic tradition of of this cauldron of rebirth. Uh, this huge amount of symbolism. Uh, so let's see. So yeah, so the Deus Ex Machina. It's uh, it's all about. And, and, and you know, sort of my 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 look at it is that it's it's this defusing, you know, of a particularly explosive situation. Also, too, it would be interesting to look at those plays where we have you know a deity like Apollo being lowered onto the stage and you know declaring that. Uh, there will be peace now between these two sides. And 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 there's another aspect of it. You know, why do we have to have a victor? You know, why why not have uh, balance? Which which is is another way of looking at it. Like say our stories now where we have, you know, a definite winner. Uh, <clears throat> now I'm thinking about a complaint where some educator, ed- educators, some um, situation with children, the desire for everyone to be a winner, and the response from a sort of more hardline, tougher. Um, type of upbringing, you know, this, this stark reality that life is difficult and, and uh, you're not going to become, you know, the number one bestseller 
billionaire. <laughs> I, so, I sort of wonder, you know, J.K. Rowling, if she, uh, you know, what her sort of upbringing, right? I, I kind of don't think that it's possible to, like, say, you know, you could have a, a, a group of children who are brought up the same way, you know, but ultimately, you know, each of their lives is going to be different. Now I'm subverting my own argument and what about twins? What about all those stories about twins who say they're separated and they, they actually live very similar lives? So I'm subverting my own argument here. So why is it important? Why is agency important? I'd like to say that with my with my neighbor to the south, say if I, you know if I am Canada, you know, and and then United States is my neighbor. Let's say Brian, because I know a Brian down there. We. I, I sort of made this sort of comment about I'm build I'm building an arm for his a robotic arm for his moon base because apparently this is happening which and too I'm thrilled about this uh, let's see it's sort of s- summing everything up you know we become these personifications. You know, I'm Canada, Brian is the United States, and that looking at at different ways of being, um, different kind of philosophies, Canada is not the United States. We We do things differently. We have a different um, style of democracy. Um, we have a different way of thinking about ourselves. Small things like two languages. There's many languages um, in Canada, but we have the two colonial uh, languages, um, f- official languages. Of uh, English and French, so you know those are those are some differences, and how did I get here? I, I was thinking of of the revolutionary mind set, and that in Canada we don't have that history. We never had a revolution. Uh, it's just double-checking through my file cabinet. <laughs> it's like, oh, pretty sure, pretty sure. We have had revolutionaries, um, Louis Riel, and, um, uh, you know, a number of, of other examples. But, you know, we, we never broke away. Um, we never broke away from England. And two, we, we didn't form until later. Right, there was sort of an uh, amorphic stage and this uncertainty of 
you know, uh, about, you know, what Canada was and how it would look and what was the dividing line between Canada and the United States. But we didn't rise up. It wasn't an, an armed um, uprising like the United States. So in, in Canada, we have, we're sort of closer to that deus ex machina. We have less agency, which is, I'm sure, horrific. Like if other Canadians were here, they would be going, hey, what about this and what about that? Um, and then on the other hand, you know, looking to the States, there's that sense of agency, sense of identity. Uh, I was talking with my manager, might have been yesterday even, or the day before, we got onto the topic of talking about um, firearms in the United States and why is it so different with Canada. And I started talking about, well, you know, that, you know, they, the people, actually own, the, you know, the country. There's this sense of, um, this desire to protect it because it's yours versus, say, Canada, where, you know, we have less of a sense of that. Um, yeah, yeah. And to, you know, to degrees, you know, I don't think... I say, you know, every person ha is going to have a different take on it. There's some people who are miserable up here, and then other people who are, you know, <laughs> I'm imagining them as sort of sparkly and glittery and happy and content, and, you know, they're perfectly fine with the way things are. So just generally speaking, you know, different types of uh, agency that one has... And two, that one allows oneself and that one uh, is allowed. You know, the restraints and constraints. Okay. Deus ex machina. So, I'd, I'd like to say that it's, it's something that was used and is not being used now. But it would be interesting to to do it now, right? And to say, you know, I'm writing literary fiction, you know, and I'm going to use I'm going to use the Deus Ex Machina. And maybe even, you know, I'll title the ch chapter Deus Ex Machina, you know, so it's really clear so you're not sitting there going, why is this happening? <laughs> why, why is there this anti-climax? Um, and uh, th that's what it would be. It would be, you know, the ultimate subversion of expectations. That you're sitting there going, it's going to end, you know, with, in this violent bloodbath. And... You know, the main character is totally set up. It's not a, it's not a tragedy, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen this certain way. So there's a question. Why subvert expectations?
one reason would be um, to shake things up. Uh, it's exciting. It's uh, to get people seeing in a new way. It's revolutionary. You know, rather than you know, just giving people what they want, it's saying, well, maybe there's something that you need to sort of, you know, shock you and shake you and break you out of your um, systems and structures, the status quo. Uh, just this morning I saw a writer on Twitter. Um, actually, the conversation started earlier and I'm sure that it's just not, you know, it's probably been going on forever. But I just saw it sort of resurfacing, and it was, it was this question about um, killing an MC. You know, so you're going along, and suddenly your main character dies. It reminds me of. Alfred Hitchcock movie Psycho. Spoilers. <laughs> that that we we get to you know a certain point, and you know it's it doesn't end up well for the main character. The examples I saw this morning were, you know, I've invested, you know, in this main character for I think it was like three or four books, and now it's over. <clears throat> Which reminds me of Sherlock Holmes and uh, the author Arthur C. Conan Doyle, who decided, you know, that's it. He's tired, tired of doing this thing, wanting to set it aside. And there was outrage. There was outrage. There was actual. Um, I was going to say rioting, but it was more like picketing. You know, people with signs. Um, angry letters and uh, ultimately I like to think though that it wasn't that pressure that did it but that it was Arthur C. you know, Conan Doyle that he you know had had his kind of vacation right he had this thrill and then you know he's on he's on a literal vacation and he's sitting on you know some uh south of France or something uh, sitting on a beach and he finds himself thinking about Holmes, right? He's coming up with new ideas, new stories and you know, ultimately he returns um, perhaps he's got some insight as well you know, post uh, trying to think of what kind of side it would be, you know, like you know, paternicide, but it would be Killing your, killing your fic fictional characters, your main character, protagonist side or something. Um, and, yeah, and so he, he returns. He returns from, the, um, apparent death.
So, so I'm thinking about that and going, oh, well, maybe that sort of is the, is the next step. Maybe that's the solution to, uh, to this conundrum. Because the expectation is that we're going to go on and on and on. But there has to be a shake-up. Every generation is responding to the one before. Uh, it seems like we go these cycles, you know, of retro and, you know, response. It's definitely the case in literature. Um, you know, say the classes I took, perhaps it was that I was, say, fixating on this question of, of revolution, like revolving. But I, I would read um, manifestos, and what am I thinking? I'm thinking of the Romantics. I'm thinking of the response to the Romantics, and then the response to the response. So that you know, we're moving away from the classical. There's this reaction, rejection by the Romantics, and then, and then there's re- this rejection to the Romantics. It's like you know, they've become you know, hugely famous, popular, and, you know, we don't want to do that. You know, in the contemporary sense, it could be, you know, the fads and fashions of the day. You know, and then the grandparents listening to the music, we don't like that stuff. But in this weird sort of truth, it's exactly the same stuff. Perhaps, you know, perhaps say the boundaries have been pushed, you know, say far beyond. But then there will be this retreat from that. There will uh, be this response. So it's like, oh, we don't like that kind of music. Myself, I find my... I find myself listening to, say, styles of music, uh, such as right now, it's chill wave, which, you know, sort of, to my thinking, it's like, oh, well, it's it's ambient, isn't it? It's like, no, it's uh, ambient with a, a 1980s kind of vibe to it. So, okay, all right. And this is being, you know, cranked out uh, just after the millennium. And two, I've seen it, but I'm sort of just identifying it. I think, too, that it... I don't know if it was actually named at that time, and I'm not sure how popular it was at that time. So, Deus Ex Machina. really like looking at these clumps of snow on on these mossy lawns and in the sunlight... And uh, they have sort of bluish shadows, the snow. And they also look like continents. Like, it's almost like, say, a continent of ice, you know, on an ocean of, of grass. I've seen something similar. I'm pretty sure it was Mobius. And there was a, a comic book like that. Somebody flying over this 
ocean of grass, but it was like these living tendrils. You know, you couldn't land on the grass, but you could land on uh, these sort of outcroppings. Just to sort of go off in a different direction for a bit. My argument or take on the the deus side of the equation uh, is that we are talking about the imagination. And two, not saying that it's it's a, a person, because Like say you know say oh human beings are, you know, are you know this deus. It's like no, I, you know it's more complicated than that. Say like on the surface, it is. It might seem that way that say somebody is, you know, forming a cult. Now I'm thinking of North Korea, and they're just they're talking about the glorious leader is talking about. Um, dismantling that uh, structure because they had a cult of personality in I think that's what it's called in North Korea and the argument was that the Kim family was related to uh, the Chinese uh, I think it's the Chinese emperors and uh, that so this was sort of a divine right, and because of because of this lineage, and there's a there's a real world example of agency that has been, um, you know, your agency is, has been taken away. And um, you're expected to worship, you know, basically idolize this uh, human being. And two, you know, I can say this, but say if you're in that country, you cannot. You know, you'll be you'll be jailed. It's not only is it treason, but it would be heresy to suggest otherwise. But here's the leader. Here's the leader of uh, the um, dictatorship saying so, and signaling a shift one would hope but but we'll see now circling back just a little bit uh so yeah so i'm arguing that that the deus is is the imagination And I meet, I meet people on both sides of the equation, organized religion, and then say, um, it's almost like, say, new religions that have, you know, cropped up, these, the neo-pagan, that, that are meet, that are able to meet me halfway. It's not quite right, though, like, say, 
the two sides of the equation. Just having a Mustang moment. There's, I, <laughs> there's, an, there's another reason not to have a screaming automobile to overcompensate. Uh, yeah, that's actually, yeah, because with uh, electric cars, you know, they're just these, you know, whispers that go by. Not these growling, rumbling, you know, I am a god, right? It's like, mm-hmm, with a complex, yes. And what about me? You know, in what way do I do that? I'm, I'm, I'm definitely doing that in writing, right? That more and more I'm sort of like, you know, sort of lifting myself up and sort of, okay, let's take the next step. Let's let's do conventions. Let's do a podcast, if that's what this is. In a way, it's come full circle. One of the things that one of my critiques is that a lot of the fiction and a lot of the, uh, especially yeah, movies that I see, they're revenge fantasies. And I'm, I'm in the same boat, right? I want vengeance, right? And so... You know, the climax has to do with one side winning over the other side. Uh, and two, you know, sometimes, you know, huge death toll, right? Millions, possibly thousands. And the crowd cheers. And on, on one level, it's catharsis, right? That there's something, there's a deep, sort of desire, right, to kind of cull the imagination, right, that we, you know, sort of have to sort of say, okay, you know, you are the enemy, and you've done great wrong to us, so we must, you know, fight back and destroy you, versus, you know, a peaceful, etc., etc. An example would be with uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, I'm not. Don't take this seriously, you know. But what if, what if it was like a, you know, sort of peace, right? Okay, we're gonna we're gonna make peace. We're gonna sort of inviting Sauron to the table, you know. But that's not the situation, and you know, Sauron is is Hitler, right? You know, it's you know Poland, then it's France. And uh, a kind of modern-day Napoleon. But say, what if one of these stories ended that way? Um, well, why? Why do it? 
just to, I think the flip side would be, say, to actually show the, the horror, right, of, of war and, you know, that in a sense there is no winner. World War One, for example, right, where you just have, you know, things go back to normal. It's like, well, why? Until you can argue, it's like, well, Germany lost, but why even? Why even do it? Why even start it? Why go? Right? You know, is it? Are we so uh, hardwired to, you know, do these horrible things? Apparently so. You know, and then it's over, and then these bloody wrecks, you know, return. Yeah, you know, traumatized survivors who were never prepared. You know, they didn't they didn't grow up like say you know Spartans, right? But I'm I'm just imagining a, a shift uh, towards that sort of say, you know, well, what would that look like? Well, you know, and two, what would be the dais in these stories who would appear and say, okay, that's enough. <laughs> you'll, now, you'll now make peace, right? I think the problem with taking away that agency is that it's not realistic. You know, we'd, we don't have real deities, right? There's, you know, there's no god who's going to, you know, sort of descend out of the sky. You know, that, that deity is imagined. That, you know, shamanic experience is internalized. It's not externalized. What the worshippers do, you know, like that, that's a real thing. You know, and perhaps that's the best way to sort of interpret it or show it is, you know, to have the the worshippers stepping in and saying, stop. <laughs> this fantasy war, you know, that you've been waging against each other, it's, it's over, right? We're putting the kibosh on it. Or that they come up with this solution, right? Do I see that happening? No. It's, uh, it's unrealistic and each each writer is their um, in a way is their own deus you know they are the deity of this uh, story this world that place that mind I don't know if I mentioned this before but it's there's so much control wrapped up in writing, having a fantasy world, you know, that, you know, so if you do become omniscient within your imagination. You know, you're, you impose all kinds of rules, uh, but ultimately, you know, you're making them, you're breaking them. I'm just imagining, right, these, sort of, a, a sort of response to the 20th century's uh, ode to murder, you know, and just having a response that's saying, no, right? You know, having uh, manifestos that (laughs) 
that subvert these expectations, you know, and and a thrill of it, right? That that there's a generation who, you know, and let's let's make it a couple generations who just love the way, you know, the old folks are reacting, you know, who, you know, in my day, you know, a story would end with a, you know, a huge shootout and a body count to be proud of. You know, I can't believe these fantasy stories today. Utter trash. And yet, you know, the ethical argument, the moral argument, you know, about how we should be and sort of, you know, here's an alternative. I think that's the thing, is that that's kind of for me to write. Now I'm thinking about The Matrix. Because we get to the end of The Matrix, and and what is it, you know? It's peace. The, you know, the, the conflict that has uh, been raging with Agent Smith. It sort of, it, it supersedes, it, uh, it takes over, and... Ugh, I'm getting blinded by the sunlight a bit. Probably for time. Oh, okay. So we're in the we're in the third act, <clears throat> pretty much. All right. Yes. So we don't see Deus Ex Machina that much. I did see it in a movie title. I think it was just Ex Machina. And so I was curious. I was like, oh, you know, are we going to see are we going to see a Deus Ex Machina? There was talk of, you know, it did have that kind of feeling about uh, agency. Um, sort of say, you know, how much rights do robots have? Are they actually, you know, conscious and intelligent? In a sense, the literary device has become subverted, and the main character is is the deus in the machina that one's civil rights one's civil rights one purpose one's purpose the ethics the morality that that's that surround the audience and two i'm again i'm i'm looking to the united states uh we had a thing here. Um, it's actually actually achieved in uh, here in this the version of a state. It's called a province. So in the province of British Columbia, where I live, uh, we actually have achieved a coalition government, and this is provincially, not not federally. 
And there was an attempt to have a coalition government in Canada. It must be about 10 years ago now. But the British government actually stepped in to stop it. And there was this outcry of confusion. People assumed that the Canadian government was like the American government. They assumed that the Prime Minister had ultimate, you know, say. Of course, you know, it would be, it would be a shared, you know, um, division of offices. Like, so power isn't in one person, you know, that there's, you know, there's a Senate, etc., etc. There's a Congress of a kind, and yeah. And I actually, I remember talking with people who were shocked that we didn't have the same government. We didn't have the same power. We didn't have the kind of autonomy that uh, an American does. You know, this, was, this was a wake-up for some people. You know, they kind of had been living the American dream in Canada. And I, I, I wasn't one of those people. Uh, I knew it wasn't that case, but it, it actually invited me to go back to the books and look at the differences specifically, you know, and and it was a shocker. It was a it was a delightful shocker. It's like okay, okay, so this feeling of disempowerment, it's actually true, right? And you know, our our actual leader is is the queen. And some, you know, and people go, oh, poo poo poo, Moss. And it's like, go look it up. <laughs> it's walking this tightrope, but, uh, um, yeah. So, yeah, so there's this, there's this difference. But also I want to say that, to use that example of this, Ameri- the, Amer- the American dream. It's a dream. It's not real. But it's embraced. Right, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much you hate the United States for whatever, you know, the dream has got you that whiff of freedom, that that whiff of civil rights, that civil rights could even exist, and the terror. There is a terror in American terror, you know, to lock and load and prepare. To have it taken away, because once you have it, right, you know now it's about keeping it. Now it's about being the whistleblower, the watchdog, you know, ever on guard. Um, yeah, because you know, it's it's just a matter of time, which is terrible. But you know, we are human beings, flawed, flawed. Um, And, and I as well, right? I, I, I marvel that, you know, it's like we have resources, Canada, we have the resources, we have the knowledge, we have the know-how, you know, to, to do all of this, to, to go to the moon, to colonize Mars, to colonize space. Uh, but we, we don't. We choose not to. We kowtow. Kowtow? Kowtow. Anyways, you know, sort of, we, we bow to the United States. And it's been like that, 
you know, for years. And it makes sense. But it's a marvel, right? And then to sort of see the United States sort of, you know, okay, you know, we're going back to the moon and beyond. You know, this time we're building a moon base. You know, this time we're, you know, heading for Mars. And there's this cheer, right, uh, for human agency. You know, so what? So we just build a, a robotic arm, right? And, uh, you know, just to be involved in that. So, yeah, it's all about ideas. I'm just rambling now. I'm just sort of attempting to sort of hold on to the coattails of, of the deus ex machina. I'm thinking back about, the, you know, the original terminology, the original words, and we get democracy from the Greeks. And it, and two, it's, you know, they were going for true democracy, we have a representational democracy. I think, though, too, that the, that the Greek origin of democracy, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that it's not the first that say, you know, you go back through villages and it just seems like the smart thing to do, even to get a sense of, you know, you know to pull the village, right, to find out which way people are leaning, uh, what do the people want. The chief, you know, the, uh, the divine leader, whatever, you know, the, the mightiest hunter, the matriarch, right? It's it, it's political. It's all about sort of say, you know, having an ear and listening in order to keep the established order going, the structure. Ultimately, we want uh, what is occurring. And, and we want more of it. So to, to have a deity suddenly interrupt this discourse with rights, freedoms, democracy, uh, yeah, yeah, th that's a question. The, the hurdle that I would make is to say, you know, I want more, right? Like, that I want a better democracy. I want a better, safer, kinder... You know, how can we... How can we keep this thing going? You know, because we're on the crest and there's, there's that question of, say, our civilization... And, and, and two, I mean, you know, ours, right? So, how, how can we sort of move ourselves away from big, mis big business and focus on human beings and, you know, keep away from the left and the right and, and just focus on people?
making it making it about people. I suppose the argument for say big business and psychotic corporations is that you know that that they are or that big business is people, right? That it's creating money and jobs. Technology. Uh, the, the flip, though, is that it's at a cost. And, you know, without, without regulation, without regulation, without whistleblowers, uh, they will, they have, they are doing uh, horrific things. So in a sense, in a sense, the, the, the dais involved in the machina is the storyteller. Yes! That, that narrator behind the curtain, that uh, character of many faces, is... You know, being lowered down onto the stage, you know, by by the machinery, and guiding. You know, you know these are these are thinkers, these are philosophers, these are people motivated by compassion and um, concern, and seeking. You know, seeking, uh, seeking a better way, seeking. A return, if necessary, um, you know, constantly being beacons, you know, one after the other, and uh, passing on the the fire, you know, from a million years ago, say, <laughs> uh, for survival, right? What is the best? For our species, you know, is this the best way? You know, because when you open up these stories, you know, that's what we see. We see people um, wrestling with with what's going on, wrestling with big business corporations, wrestle, wrestling with uh, wannabe dictators. You know, wrestling with red tape bureaucracies that you know those jaded people who've um you know they're they're dead i mean maybe they can come back maybe they're alive on saturday and sunday but you know they've got zombie eyes so what can we do to sort of bring them back to life what can we say to sort of make a difference and to you know so they aren't uh it, it, like all those, say, cop shows, right, that show the dangers of, uh, you know, people who, you know, it, for them that it's a job, you know, those, those few that they get upset, maybe their midlife crisis is that, you know, they join organized crime, right, so that's how they're paying for the, you know, the boat or whatever it is. Okay. All right. Is there some fire?
five minutes to burn up here. But maybe two, just to leave it to leave it there, a literary device. So even in contemplating something that doesn't seem to be active, let's say that it is active in the opposition to it, and that that the role of the dais is perhaps covert, um, or that you know, say that we we agree that it's it's actually not good to have you know a settled uh, end. You know that the protagonist is kind of righteous. That the protagonist is you know, ethically must, you know, rise above this. They don't get shot down and disappear. And it's, it's pandering, right? It's, it's not just about the love of the money. It's about the love of the audience. And, yeah... I'm just remembering when when Wonder Woman came out and there's this celebration, right? And yeah, so I'm sort of subverting my own subversion here. And and that's fine. That's, That's what it's all about. I do like the idea, though, of You know that it's it's still alive and well. It's just you know the Deus Ex Machina has you know it's it's changed, and that uh, of course you know the the culture right the culture has changed. We're not the we're not the same people that uh, we were. All right, take care. Thanks for listening. And keep up the great work.